You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Allison Marshall from Richmond, Virginia. And I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to the special monthly Chi University episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May the 23rd. Good morning, Horse World. Welcome to our once-a-month look at traditional Chinese veterinary medicine with the Chi University. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Welcome back, Allison. It's good to have you back. Love being here. This is our second episode for the Chi University. If you missed the first, you can go back to Horses in the Morning, scroll down to the horseinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page and click the Chi University banner, and it takes you all the past episodes there, so you can go back and take a listen to the first one. But today we're going to talk about a couple of topics. You have a fellow comrade of yours coming on from Chi University, <laughs> right? What's he going to talk about? I sure do. I have a man, a Dr. John Langlois, who is coming on um, to talk to, with us about an herbal formula, specifically about non-sweaters. So he's going to take us through kind of that diagnosis that is significant around our, our country, but most significant in hot and humid areas. So John is our um, our head TA, teaching assistant at the Chi University. So he and I teach together, but he's technically the boss of all. So I'm really thrilled to have him here today because not only is he a wealth of knowledge, but he really communicates it well. So... I'm looking forward to that. My wife's horse is a non-sweater here in Florida, too. Ooh, so she's, she's dealt with that. We've, we've had a lot of them, yeah. actually, that we've known down yeah. there. Yeah. No, I, it being in Virginia, we have some, but not, I mean, I just hear that the the Florida, that's like the number one thing that people treat down yeah, there. Yeah, and especially with the bigger, the draftier breeds, you know, you see sure. that, too. We've My sister-in-law had one, uh, was a draft breed, and she, had to, she ended up sending it to Maryland because just yeah. could not handle it down here. I, I heard at one point in time, which I think is really cute, that, you know, draft horses were meant to support a family of 10 on a handful of grain in Ireland, and they really weren't meant to, you know, to, to really deal with heat at all. So they're very bulky animals. It's hard for them to clear heat out of their bodies. So the anhydrosis has kind of a connection to that, but it makes some sense that... They're easy yeah, because keepers, there it's always know. chilly and wet. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So we have the, we have the wet part sometimes, but uh, not necessarily the chilly. Not that cold. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is, you're going to talk about something today. What are you going to chat about? I am. I'm going to talk about a case in particular that I had, just to sort of illustrate um, a concept, and that concept would be cervical issues in horses. And I think as practitioners, we all sort of get on a soapbox or or we we have the experience of seeing a certain um, condition frequently. And because a lot of my practice is English sport horses, we are seeing more and more cervical issues. So I was going to bring a case to the table and kind of talk about, you know, every practitioner's got some spectacular things that have happened with them. And that doesn't happen with every case by any stretch. And it doesn't mean that I'm the cure-all for every cervical, you know, horse out there. But um, it's kind of a neat case and it does illustrate the potential of Chinese medicine and traditional 
Chinese veterinary medicine. Very good. And of course, if you want to learn more about the Chi University, you can go to chiu.edu. That's chiu.edu for all the information. We'll post that link in the show notes as well. Well, as you said, coming up first is Dr. John. He's going to talk to us about anhydrosis. Hi, John. So uh, what do you have to talk about with us today? What do you what do you bring to the table? Well, I, I wanted to address something that is really, really important for the horse owners in Florida, and that is their ability to sweat um, and the condition of what we call non-sweaters when horses aren't able to produce either enough sweat or any sweat. It's a common big problem um, that we see in Florida, so I thought, thought it was important to yak about. Sounds fabulous. It's interesting, too, because in 18 years of holistic practice and 28 years of veterinary practice in Virginia, my first few years of practice, I really didn't see it up here much, but I'm seeing it up here more and more. We are very humid and hot in the summertime as well, so it's an issue as far north as this. Yes, and, you know, I have to say during the summer months in my practice, you know, July, August, I would say one out of five phone calls for a particular clinical case are involving sweating issues. Wow. And and what sort of clinical signs do they call about? What's your most common presentation? Well, one of the things, <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I wanted to mention to just maybe give the listener um, a heads up is that we start to see some little, little bit of signs of, you know, what's, what are the early things that we might pick up before they actually know that the sweating is happening less. And we'll see horses mm-hmm. that they're just a little bit more respiratory rate, they're faster. Um, the, the complaint might be they're not cooling out as well. You know, we work today and the horses want to spend more time in the water trough. And then this may lead to something that you, I'm sure, have recognized that they get this little thin hair across their forehead and it starts to be flaky, a little dry. And, it, you know, they lose the hair there. And that that's kind of, for me, almost a, a telltale sign that something wrong with the mechanism of sweat. And they may be a little bit tighter, maybe decreased appetite, maybe not as much water. So even before they stop sweating, this is some things that, you know, we can kind of say, whoa, maybe I need to address this before I have a big full event. And so why would it be important to address it early on as opposed to in the middle of it? Well, I, I kind of believe that, you know, as veterinarians, we're better off trying to promote a, a preventative approach as opposed to fire engine medicine where we're putting out the fire. Uh, unfortunately, we have to do a lot of that, but um, I would rather see, like I say, if we have any concerns for anhydrosis, I would like to see the horse in the spring in March and right. do an examination and see if there's some beginning things that we recognize that can say, hey, Again, let's head it off at the past before we're sitting there and a phone call saying he's breathing 100 times a minute. Can you come? Absolutely. And I find um, it takes fewer treatments, you know, for any for any disease process. But the longer it's been going on, the harder it is to fix with any medicine. Would you say that's true in your practice, too? Absolutely. Yes. And um, it's very interesting if we if we talk about, you know, something that happens acutely, you know, all of a sudden the horse stops sweating versus this is our fifth, sixth year of doing it. It's a whole different approach and the expectations for treatment and efficacy are going to be different. Yeah, I totally agree with that. 
And certainly people are concerned about the expense it takes to treat their horse and get them sound again. So you have a lot less money invested on less treatments if you catch it early than really trying to overcome a severe situation, I would think. Yes. And I think as practitioners, it's important for us to, you know, explain that to them. And something that we have diagnosed, uh, you know, through biopsy of the skin and these glands is in when it happens acutely, the biopsy is normal. When it's five or six years, these glands that produce the sweat are atrophied or they are lessened. So their ability to do it properly is is much less. So that's that's an important part of the conversation and expectation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you treat these? Well, um, yeah. So, you know, when we when we kind of ask the question, okay, well, how do we treat it? And we come at it from a Western uh, perspective. There's really not much out there uh, to help. I mean, we all have heard, uh, you know, give them some beer or give them 1AC. some electrolytes or vitamins or 1AC or thyroid or vitamin E. These are all out there, but they... No research significantly has been done on these products to suggest that they're they're cure alls, um, and most mm-hmm. of the time um, they don't they don't do the job. So, as TCVM practitioners, we have um, you know a way to become successful in helping these these animals. So, in order in order for us to treat them, I think we need to understand what's going on in uh, in Western medicine. Yep, they stop sweating, and that's about it. We we don't really have a good understanding of the mechanism, why it does it. There is some suggestion that uh, stress hormones are involved with, um, you know, causing these, these, these syndromes of non-sweating, but, you know, which would be, you know, like cortisol and epinephrine, those kind of things, the stress hormones. But we find also that horses stop sweating when they're not doing anything. So that right. that doesn't hold hold true, and we also understand that humidity plays an important part. Um, I was mentoring a, a veterinarian in California, and she told me, um, "I don't see it. It never happens here, or wow. if it does, it's really, really rare." So, humidity, I think, and climate well, had something to do with it. And you know, we used to say way back, oh, "Just ship them up north." So that's a treatment. We take right. them up north out of the humid, hot environment, and most of those begin sweating. So that's a that's a treatment approach. But for many, you know, they don't want to lose their horse or they don't want to, you know, to do that process. So we have to work with them in their in their own place. And like I mentioned, it's a big problem when they can't control their 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 sweating and 75 percent of their ability to control sweat, um, to control their temperature is through sweat. So we might um, we might, again, look into things of maybe hypothyroid or other things that are going on. But for the most part. As a TCBM practitioner, we recognize it in a different way, and we look at, you know, problems in, in two different areas in the horse. One is the heart. The heart dominates the blood, and that governs the circulation. So if we look and as TCBM practitioners, we're going through tongue and pulse and an AccuScan or going through the channels on the outside of the body on the surface and seeing what our pattern is. That's the key to our medicine being successful. And I want to share because this is something we do, and it's very analogous to non-sweatering, but hypothyroid horses. Okay, well, typically, if you're a Western practitioner and you treat hypothyroid, you give them level thyroxine, right? That's a Mm -hmm. supplement that puts on top to try and take care of the, the imbalance. Well, in TCVM, we find 
potentially three different patterns. We have three different approaches, including three different herbs to be able to do. So one condition, three different treatments. And um, just to share, because I think it's important, when you measure your your thyroid level, and I don't know we're talking about non-sweating, measure the thyroid level, and it's low. So you put on some thyroxine. Three months later, you take it off and measure it. The level is the same. It's low. When I treat a hypothyroid horse, I put it on medication, the herbs for the proper um, pattern. Three months later, that's almost always within the normal limit. So what we've asked is the body to do its work. Same thing with non-sweaters. We want to get the body in balance in order for us to be able to get uh, that horse to produce enough sweat. So the heart is a big concern because that governs the blood. Blood is a very important part of body fluid and um, having enough fluid to make sweat. And also, um, so when we have a deficient heart blood, then we're going to have less sweat production. The second organ is the lung. The lung governs respiration, makes the chi, but it also governs the surface. So uh, allowing the pores to open on the surface, we must treat um, the lung in order to get it to open up, give it enough energy to open up. And um, so the lung controls the entire surface of the body, the skin, hair, and the sweat glands. So that's our, that's our approach is we have to treat, based on our pattern, heart and lung. If we are in a situation where one's acute, okay, breathing up 40, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 times a minute, we're going to see in our tongue impulse, we're going to see a red tongue, we're going to see a fast pulse, and we're going to see reactives over certain areas, many times just behind the withers, which represents the lung and the heart. So these are the kind of things that we do as TCBM practitioners. We go through these most important things. Do the tongue, do the pulse, and go through the body in scan and come up with a pattern. Then we decide we can treat these based on that pattern. And I think it's kind of interesting, you know, the heart involvement would give a nod to the stress hormone theory since heart is sort of um, the seat of more anxiety or a- anxiousness in TCBM would also connect with those horses that might be a little anxious in Western medicine or, you know, maybe very have good a little point. connection there. Yeah, very good point that stress can be a, a result of this and, and maybe treating anxiety in the short term could be helpful. And I had another Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk about managing these cases. Well, certainly we want to manage them in addition to our, our TCBM treatment. You know, we want to kind of get these animals out early, early in the morning uh, when, um, when the weather and the humidity is not so high. We want to provide them access to water and sometimes misters that can cool them down. This is all, you know, more of an integrated approach that we want to take advantage Mm -hmm. of some just basic concepts of keeping them cool. Um, And then we can move into the idea that we want to feed them some foods that are cooling in the body. So we, we understand that from TCVM food therapy, that there's actually foods that produce heat and there's foods that cool down. So we want to balance that. So we give them a better chance. Have you ever in your practice, this is kind of a tangential question, but have you ever seen a horse that has had kind of chronic lung disease or infectious disease or kind of a heavy situation or um, COPD kind of thing? Have you ever seen that as an underlying pattern to the anhydrosis? Well, I think that 
Uh, not particularly, but what I think we find with those is we find lung chi deficiency, meaning that the mm-hmm. energy in the lung is weak. Well, oftentimes when we have lung chi deficiency, we have animals that produce too much sweat, which is quite interesting. And interesting. Or certainly horses that have heart imbalances can be night sweats and things like that. So, and one of the nice things about TCVM is sometimes we depend again on, on the pattern we're finding, we can treat excess of sweating and lack of sweating in the same approach. I love that. So how, how would you describe um, the treatments? I know that it, you know, with the differentiating, differentiating patterns that um, it's important to treat every horse as an individual, but overall, what's kind of your treatment approach? Okay. Well, what we want to do is, is is basically clear the heat. That's number one. And we'll kind of speak of this in the terms of, you know, an acute situation where we're in August and the horse is really not able to sweat and it's, the respiratory rate is up and we're seeing signs of heat in the body. The body's warm. The tongue is red. Eyes are red. So we want to clear that heat. The next thing we want to do is oftentimes with the heat, there's also damp. Damp, we can kind of, from a Western look, consider that to be humidity. So we want to clear that dampness out of the body. And then we want to figure out how we can open up the exterior of the skin to allow the sweat to come out. So we understand that there are several ways to do that. Um, Acupuncture is certainly um, the basis of TCVM in many ways. So we can do acupuncture. And when I have a horse that that is, again, in the middle of an episode of not sweating or totally not sweating, I'm going to bleed them in certain locations. That's a way an animal can cool itself. We find horses that um, when they get a lot of heat in the lungs, what do they do? They bleed in their lungs. They're trying to cool themselves. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. we see this, we want to go ahead and actually take some blood in various locations. There's one in the armpit. There's one at the tail. Um, There's a number of different locations we can use depending upon how the horse uh, interacts with you, but we want to get a little bit of blood out. Um, and I find we mentioned that, you know, sometimes horses might be heart blood deficient. Well, if they're severe, yes, then I won't bleed them. But if there's, if it's kind of a, a, a small component, I absolutely want to bleed them because we see the animals cooling down immediately. Their respiratory rate changes when we bleed them. So the second thing we can do is just use dry needles if that's um, an approach to try and again treat the pattern. Or we can use electricity in our acupuncture to uh, further stimulate these points that we have chosen, again, based on the pattern. So acupuncture and based on your lungs and all that sort of thing in your skin. Correct. Correct. So what? Yes. And so that's going to be our approach. And, you know, we just to go back a little bit, I have seen situations where horses get a call one day um, that they've stopped sweating. I come over the next day, do a treatment. I'm prescribing an herbal formulation, which we haven't started, but just with the acupuncture, they're sweating the next day. Now that's, um, that's a a cool case. That's when we're really, (laughs) yes, that's wonderful. (laughs) And uh, I don't give everybody that expectation. Again, it depends on chronicity, but, and I want to share, I want to share with the audience because I'd like to do this with my students um, is we oftentimes don't get the result we want. I had two cases and two year olds, breathing up very rapidly, 70 times a minute, fans on them, hosing them down. I did three treatments. Dr. Shea from the um, from the Chi University came over, did several treatments. We did not change these at all. 
And he felt, well, maybe there's a genetic component, whatever else. So uh, when I when I approach these in treatment, I say, okay, this is our expectations. Let's put it out there. Let's go for it. We may turn it around very quickly, or it may take us three, four, five treatments and herbal formulations to go ahead and do. So with that in mind, the frustrating the herb- thing as a as a practitioner to really expect a two year old um, to be better and balanced than that, and when you can't clear them quickly. Correct. Um, it is frustrating. And like you said, we all get those. Yes, it, it, it is. And I, that's why I want to make everybody aware that um, um, most circumstances are going to turn out to be positive and we are going to help them. But there may be cases where um, they're just not going to be responsive to our approach. And that's mm-hmm. that's a fact. So um, our herbal approach is, you know, when we you and I studied acupuncture and herbal medicine, TCBM, it was kind of the understanding that the acupuncture gets things started, but the herbals finish our approach. And f- for me, that is every, every day um, an understanding that the herbs are hugely important. And if somebody says, well, we want to treat this and just do acupuncture, I, I say, let's do the full Monty. Let's give them the herbal as well, because that's going to make a big difference. And these herbs are formulated to um, provide a number of things. And what, what, one that we use when we're in the middle of the season with an anhydrosis or non-sweater, Nujan Rusan is our number one to go to. And it's mm-hmm. just a, a formulation that they put together with five different herbs. But the king herb, which is the main herb ingredient in there, its action is to clear summer heat. That's what it does. So that's what we're trying to do. So that herb is beautiful. And it also induces sweating and helps to release the exterior. It'll also make them urinate a little bit and can increase the disbursement of damp. So here's one herb that does a myriad of things. And so that is our king. And then we have other herbs in there that are helpers, ministers, assistants, and so forth, and harmonizers that help to put this whole package together with the idea, what are we trying to do? We want to get rid of the heat. We want to open the exterior. We want to um, get it to release get rid of damp and move the energy in the body around so that the body can do it. Um, it's work. And I often will tell my clients, if I can hit the nail on the head with an herbal formula, number one, it's like a daily dose of acupuncture. So they don't need to see me as much. And, and really in the long run, that's less expensive for them. If we can exactly. get the treatment going with the acupuncture and then support it to be a more positive and permanent change with the herbs. But I, I find that it takes probably a week or two for the herbs to kick in. Is that what you have experienced as I, well? I, I agree. In fact, you know, I try not to you know, make any assessment really for closer to 30 days. If we see a change, wonderful. But at 30 days, I say, let's look and see how did we do? Do we want to change? Is there any changes? Uh, and continue our plan based on a 30-day exam. And I think you're you're speaking to something that's really smart too, that um, the more stuck a pattern is, not that that's a very medical term, but the longer it takes you know, those herbs to kick in. So I think 30 days is really realistic. I think non-sweating because it's such a complicated pattern from a Chinese medicine perspective and Western medicine can't even address the healing of it. It just addresses the management of it. Really. We, we sort of fail to see that. I think sometimes we think that we're curing allergies with antihistamines or we're curing non-sweaters with the one AC, 
but really the Chinese pattern and TCVM strives to heal the situation so that you don't need those management tools anymore. Is that is that your finding as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I find it, you know, wonderful in many contexts like that. Um, you know, if you're, if you've got a, a, a go back to the hypothyroid, well, it's going to have to have a supplement for the rest of its life. In, in mm-hmm. TCBM, when we get the body balanced, we can back up right. the dose and in many cases can take them off entirely. And they're Absolutely. good for a, a long period of time. So we're not thrilling. Um, saying, <laughs> yeah. It's and, just thrilling you know, to see true healing, you know? <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're finding too that, um, you know, the Qi University is just so into trying to understand through research and, and so on, similar to Western medicine. Let's do research. And so, They've done actual studies with children with this formula uh, or with this one uh, principal king herb to show that it was almost 93% effective in kids. Uh, so in relieving there's fever, more and more coming that, that helps back up what we're, what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty neat um, that Chi University is trying to help prove what thousands of um, you know, Chinese medicine practitioners have known, and they're just trying to prove it through Western medicine, which helps the rest of the world understand it. But it isn't that it's working finally. It's just that we're figuring out, you know, how to relate it to the rest of our med- medicine approaches. Yeah, no, I, and I agree. I think they're doing a wonderful job. And, and you know, Dr. Shea has his roots at the University of Florida, and they did a study, um, you know, and found out that the acupuncture and the herbal combination was uh, created a significant benefit, although they wanted to see more of that. And just to throw in, um, and I think you're aware, and just in speaking to some of the practitioners that have actually gone on to advanced studies in the balance method, they are saying that their approach is even giving better and better results to a global problem, which is anhydrosis and non-sweating. So a global meaning global in the body as opposed to around the world. So that that is a um, um, giving enhanced results. So I have been a, been implementing that a little bit more to try and see if we can do the very best we can. That's really awesome. So um, we've talked at our last uh, podcast about you know people hear these kind of things they want to get herbals um and uh we talked about how you really need to find a TCBM practitioner near you they're they're very much prescription oriented and exactly like what you said we use that crazy thing called tongue and pulse we look at the tongue color and feel the pulses because sometimes that herbal formula may not be specific for that horse, even though non-sweating is the clinical sign. It's very important for a knowledgeable practitioner to confirm that that's, that herbal is not going to do damage. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the, the, uh, I'll have what, what she's having under Harry met Sally, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that doesn't work. So we can't cookbook, um, one particular thing for, for, for a horse's particular problem. That's the difference is we have to identify it through that examination, through the tongue and pulse and say, okay, now we can focus on it directly as opposed to, yeah, you can try it or try that because Joe tried it. And um, that's not the way we know to get the best results. Right. Super, super, super. Well, is there anything uh, that you want to add to uh, what you have to present today that I have missed? Um, I don't, I don't think, I think, you know, we went through um, the most important aspects of, of uh, 
of identifying um, the problem, looking for those early signs. I think, uh, like I said, it's so much better to treat something when it's just beginning to be identified as opposed to a big fire, having to put out a big fire. It's a little bit more challenging. For sure. No, take home message. Well, thank you, John. We appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you asking. Well, he was fantastic. I'm so glad you booked him. I can see why oh. he's a good teacher over there. He is a fabulous teacher. Yeah, I could hear him talk. About, and he made it, even I understood it. I mean, and that's a miracle. So, <laughs> Speaking good. of miracles, there's one. Um, so you had a case you wanted to talk about. I did. Um, I Again, I've been a TCVM practitioner. I, my practice has been limited to just chiropractic and acupuncture for 18 years. And the case I'm bringing to you, oh, I'm trying to think, actually happened probably around 2010 or 2012. It was a long time ago, but it's just such a spectacular, fun situation that it bears talking about. So um, I have been going to uh, Maryland Racetrack, Laurel Park, once a, once a month for the last 15 years. So I guess that tells you how long ago this case happened. Um, and one of my trainers, uh, I had been invited to his farm for dinner with him and his wife, and he was kind of showing me around the farm, and this two-year-old came very neurologically sort of splattering up to the gate to see us, and I looked at the trainer, and he said, I'm going to start him on EPM medicine, and I said, let me just get a feel of him, and I felt like he had um, just palpating. Isn't that the chiro- go-to, though, for everybody? If it's neurological, that's well, what sure. it is, right? Well, yeah. and that happens so commonly, and it can have so, like cervical issues, it can have so many presentations that it's almost like a, well, let's rule that out before we go any further, because it can it can lie latent. Yeah, you don't get me on the EPM thing, but <laughs> it can lie. They've done studies that um, have had, they don't have EPM in Europe, but they had a horse one time that had shipped over there two years later developed EPM. So Hmm. it can lie latent in the spinal cord, you know, for a long time. So it is, it is the ubiquitous rule out, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we, uh, I asked him to take the two-year-old into the track so I didn't have to get to his farm to treat it. And I did electroacupuncture and, um, Chinese herbal medicine. Uh, we did five different electroacupuncture treatments specifically aimed towards neck problems. And I, I didn't, I wasn't clear, but as I kind of went over him and felt his neck, his neck sort of felt stiff to me and a, a little bit of what I would call knobby, a little bit misshapen. Um, and there are more and more studies supporting the fact that about 40% of thoroughbreds and about 30% of warm bloods have congenital, which means happens at birth. It doesn't mean genetic. It means, you know, somehow it happened. Congenital malformation in their low neck, which is almost into the shoulder. It happens trying so. to birth something the size of a horse. <laughs> I wish it were that easy. <laughs> I wish I didn't think that humans have had something to do with that breeding, <laughs> but I think we have. <laughs> but yeah, so C6, C7, and T1, um, those spinal segments have been implement, indicated in the studies that, ha- and those studies, by the way, have not been radiographs. They've not been ultrasounds. They've not even been um, MRIs or, or CAT scans on the neck itself. We didn't have that. 
that back then. Um, it's dissection. So they've taken horses and they've actually looked at the vertebra. Those malformations are difficult to assess with radiographs because what we don't think about is that the x-ray beam actually shoots out like a cone. So when you're going from one side of the neck vertebra to the other side of the neck vertebra, number one, you know, general malformations, there's a lot of small little bony lines in there for lack of a better term. And um, C7 and T1 for sure are between the shoulder blades. So with the overlying of those scapular bones, it's just very difficult to actually assess malformation with a radiograph. So that's um, interesting because I've been having a little bit of neck issues. And of course they did the x-ray and yes. I've been going to, to therapy actually. And he's like, you know, this isn't helping. I really do think we need an MRI now. Interesting. Uh, because what you said, we can only see so much with. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And um, I'll also say that uh, the herbs for neck, I think oh, it was a long time ago that I was going to one of my favorite acupuncturists here in Richmond, Virginia, and I told him that I was taking the cervical formula herbs um, in capsules for myself. And he said, oh, that must be the same thing as our neck formula. So, Glenn, don't forget. TCVM for your neck problems. Okay, uh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe I'm talking about this case specifically for you today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I get out there. So so this, if anybody wants to Google him, um, this horse's name was Action Andy, and that'll tell you um, his kind of race record and everything. I uh, He was shipped to the racetrack at Laurel, and my monthly visit, I would electroacupuncture him, and I think we got five treatments in um, it, uh, until he, and it's real funny because a lot of times with electroacupuncture, the most, um, the most problems that I might have with the process would be putting the needles in after that, hooking them up to these little jumper cables for our electric box. And we just turn them on a very low level current. It's nothing, um, painful. Usually they love that and they fall asleep. And that's what action Andy had done for his first four treatments, his fifth treatment, we hooked him up and he fell asleep. And I even have a very blurry photo on my phone. It was an old phone of him drooling. So he was actually <laughs> sitting there drooling. Um, and then he started rearing. And that was a little disconcerting in the stall at the track. And then he went right back to sleep and he started drooling again. And then he started rearing. And so I, I have since seen that sort of undulation and response um, of horses to electroacupuncture because I tend to actually cook them for longer than many of my colleagues. I'll cook them for 30 30 minutes. I think that 10 minutes is pretty standard. But so we did five treatments. And on that last one, when he was, he wasn't striking at anybody, he was just sort of rearing in dreamland. And we decided that that was probably not so safe of a situation. So, so um, he started uh, winning, he started running races, which is a great for a neurological horse. He started winning races and um, he just kept going up and up and up through the races. He started winning allowance races and then he started winning stakes races. I think he has six stakes races under his belt and the trainer that had trained him was a well-known trainer in the Maryland area. And that man had actually had horses in the Preakness, not winning the Preakness, but had run horses at that level. And this little horse um, ended up being his biggest winner. He went oh, wow. on a $350,000 stakes race in Tampa. Um, he did really, really well. And to as a little bit of a side note, um, 
his full brother, uh, whose name escapes me right now, I'm sorry, toggling between two, between two names, his full brother, um, I was asked to look at, who was also at the track as a, as a two or three-year-old and was a very quiet horse. And um, as they walked him down the shed row, which for those of you who are not familiar with racing, it, the shed row is just one side of that big barn. So often there's 15 stalls on one side. So in one length of 15 stalls, he would lock his stifles five times or four times. And I did the same thing. I felt his neck and I thought, well, golly, um, this neck is pretty rough and, and actually way stiffer than Action Andy's was. Um, and if you look at how the spine goes through our neck, the motor nerves that are on the outside of the spine go directly to the hind end. So often, that's one of the reasons they call cervical malformation horses wobblers because they're wobbly and that often is more evident in the hind end before it's evident in the front end. So I felt this guy and we started electroacupuncture on him. And after the first treatment, we saw no change. And after the second treatment, um, he was only locking once all the way down the shed row. And after the third treatment, he was spectacular and he woke up and they had to castrate him because he was such a handful. <laughs> so you kind of think about how, um, you know, inflammation in the body, especially in the spinal cord might sort of dampen your temperament <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> So I know it has I, mine. <laughs> Sorry. Right, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so, from okay. So this is going back to the first one. Yes. So how did the neck cause neurological problems? How did a problem in the neck cause the neurologic? Do you know where I'm going with that? I'm I trying do. to see the correlation. I do. I do. So, um, so the, the, and I love neurology and I think I learned more about neurology in veterinary chiropractic school than I did in veterinary school. And it's just fascinating to me. So if you think about the spinal cord as, um, the electrical system of the body, and if those are all wires like a lampshade, you know, or like a lamp cord, all of them are plugged into the brain. So the brain is your wall, right? That is your mothership of the electrical generation or the electrical signals. So as you come down through the spinal cord, you get nerve roots that come off to the side and there is a nerve root that comes off in between each one of the vertebra. So, you know, you've got almost a tree-like situation. So if your spine is running through the neck and the neck has malformation such that the spine doesn't the spine gets pushed on or it does it can't course through the canal without pressure and that might be constant pressure but i think more often it's intermittent pressure that pressure will just like pressure on a electrical cord will stop or slow the flow of those nerves so neck problems can cause not only Kind of like what I said, Let, let's picture the, I'm, I'm holding my hands up and nobody can see me, but let's picture the spinal cord as a circle. If you put your hands together um, as a big circle, the, the motor nerves kind of on the outside of the spine or the, the nerves on the outside of that spinal cord run to the hind end. So if there's arthritic change and the spine can't move as well, if the arthritic change is so bad, um, you can get pressure on that spinal cord and the pressure stops the electronic flow. Uh, so that's how it affects the hind end. How you can affect the front end is those nerve roots. 
So um, in between each one of those cervical vertebra is a big old fat nerve that comes out and plugs into all the muscles there. So we very regularly see asymmetry of shoulder muscles. If you sit on your horse's back and look down um, with or without a saddle, preferably without, but you, you look at them from the front, you lift their neck up and look at their shoulder. Sometimes, um, many times, there ha- there are asymmetries. Now, not all of those are going to be from neck, gener- you know, starting from the neck problem. Some of them can be because their foot hurts and they're not using those muscles as much. Yeah, overcompensation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so that's how neck problems can cause neurology in the front end and the back end. So kind of depending on, uh, and that's to me, the, the sort of, um, ironic fascination of neurology is that if you kind of pay attention to that, you can use like, I'm not great with knowing which muscles are innervated by which nerves, but if you plug all that in, you can figure out which spinal roots could potentially be a problem. They're starting to image that low neck a whole lot more um, with the, a CT scan. Um, there are some veterinarians that are taking an ultrasound and actually aiming it behind the shoulder blade and being able to look at some of the nerve roots and if those are impinged upon or not. So That's does that answer your question? Yeah, that was very well. You explained it very well too. I think I understand it more than I ever have. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah, good. <laughs> well, and so, so we come back to what you need to do is find, you know, if, if you think that, Anything we talked about today is an issue with one of your horses. You need to go find a TCBM, a traditional Chinese veterinary medicine practitioner in your area. What's the best way to find one of those? If you go to that website, the Chi Yu, which stands for Chi University, it's like, you know, Boston University or whatever. It's C H I U. Chi is C H I. Yeah, C H I U. C H I U dot E D U. On that page, I think toward the bottom, there is a find a practitioner button, and that will connect you to a link. You can put your. uh, zip code in there, and then it'll bring up folks who have been through the program, who are certified through the program. It kind of earmarks who's herbal and who isn't. Um, and a lot of times, practitioners are practicing those modules and those things, the herbology, the twina, the food therapy. A lot of times they're practicing that and they just haven't sent their case report in to get certified yet. So often the representation on the website uh, might be a little behind uh, the experience all right. of the practitioner. And of course, you can find out uh, all about uh, Chi University at chiu.edu. Where can they find you? They can find me at fullcirclevet.net. Fullcirclevet.net. And, you, and remind everybody what area you cover. I, I am in Richmond, Virginia, and I have a little mini practice in Maryland. So I still am attending Laurel Racetrack once a month, and my general practice area is in the Harwood-Davidsonville area, and I'm only there once a month. So um, I'll, I book a little bit far out with that. but uh, And then I come down and teach at Chi, but I don't practice down there. So All right. Very good. Well, that gives everybody an idea anyway. And of course, if you want to listen to all the episodes that we're doing for Chi, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page and click on the Chi University banner. And that'll bring you to a page that has all the episodes in one spot. Chi is here the fourth Tuesday of every month, and we'll be back again in June. Thank you, Allison, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Glenn. <laughs> 